Good morning, South Shore. It's great to be with you this morning. Many years ago, I attended a conference at the New England Speaker School. There was, it was a great weekend. There were two things that I walked away with that I have never forgotten. The first is this. There's very little that a speaker will share with their audience that the people don't already know. Speaking is really about reminding people of something they may have forgotten. And the second was this. It's important to identify something for a, from a talk that spoke to you personally. That one thing that you don't want to forget. They called it your keeper. It is a tool that I've used both as a listening skill of my own and one I've encourages, encouraged my audience to use as well. So as I begin this morning, I would like to, to encourage you to find your keeper for what I'm going to share. About a week, a year and a half ago, I left South Shore after being on staff for 15 years. I started a life counseling endeavor that has proven to be a great fit for me in this season of my life. When COVID hit back in March, I put together a list of coping strategies for my clients. It was based on the four quadrants of our life, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Here are some of the things that I gave them. I said, limit your news consumption and social media. Both are anxiety enablers. Create a schedule. A routine for each day will help. Focus on the things you can control, not the things you can't control. Exercise self-care. You can't pour from an empty cup. Schedule a time to worry. For example, in the morning, give yourself 15 minutes to consciously think about your fears and concerns. And if you catch yourself worrying outside of that time, remind yourself, this is not time to worry. Fight back against feelings of helplessness. Anxiety and fear will never go away on their own. And I added this. Put a pause on negative thinking. Whenever you begin to ruminate on a negative thought, look for distraction. And then this. Be wise about who you turn to for support. Emotions are contagious. Avoid people who tend to be negative or who will ramp up your fears. Go outside for a walk, exercise, eat a healthy diet, and most of all, choose faith over fear. These coping skills weren't just for my clients. They were for me as well. Since March, you and I have faced a pandemic, social unrest, an upcoming election, an upending of our educational system, a restriction on social gatherings and events, job uncertainty, financial worries, life without church, and more social isolation than we have known in decades. Every month that has gone by, I see the fraying of the edges of people's lives. One author I read recently, I believe, captured it perfectly. He wrote that we are in the midst of a lifequake. He said all of us in our lifetime will go through three to five lifequakes. What makes this lifequake so unique is that we are not only experiencing it individually, we are experiencing it collectively as a society, and it is affecting everyone. 
the fallout from this virus has reshaped our lives, at least in the short term, and I believe for the long term as well. I've gone through a number of life quakes in my own life. I know firsthand that they can be painful and disorienting and confusing and downright difficult. But I also know that they can stretch us and teach us and strengthen us and push us and soften us and humble us. They can give us a deeper appreciation of what is really important in life. Good can come from life quakes in ways not often seen at the moment that you're going through them. Friends, the truth is good can come out of this life quake. Good can come out of our suffering. Good can come out of pain and struggle, and it can come out of disappointment, heartbreak, and even betrayal. This has been true since the beginning of time, and it will be long after you and I are gone. King Solomon said it best. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. But the challenge in the midst of any life quake is to look for the good in the midst of it. Or, as the military puts it, hunt for the good stuff. I would like to suggest four ways this morning that I believe that we can hunt for the good stuff. I read an interesting article this summer in the Wall Street Journal entitled, A Good Life Doesn't Mean an Easy One. It started with this question, what makes a good life? The authors and their colleagues did an extensive study involving more than 3,000 people in nine countries. The researchers gave participants a list of 15 descriptive words, such as pleasant, meaningful, interesting, and asked which one best described a good life. When they analyzed the responses, they found that people do indeed think that a happy and meaningful life is a good life. But they also believed in what they referred to as a psychologically rich life. In fact, across cultures, there were people who said that if they were forced to choose, they would go for a psychologically rich life over a happy and meaningful one. And they chose the psychologically rich life because they, even though they knew it would include the unexpected, the difficult, even the tragic, because they believed in its transforming power. The article ended with these words. As the great Leonard Cohen song says, it's the cracks that let the light come in. The Bible calls a psychologically rich life a transformed life, a life that has been touched, changed, tested, and redeemed by Jesus. And the Bible also talks about the benefits of a psychologically rich life in the book of James. He writes this, Consider it a shared gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and will show its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you may become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. James would have agreed with the folks that chose a psychologically rich life. He saw the tests and challenges as a gift, but I'm not sure that we always see it this way. 
But the thing to remember is this. The great power of earthquakes is they are an interruption of life. They reveal there's more to us than we know. There are depths we haven't even yet explored. Lifequakes have the potential, folks, to either break us or break us open. When I say break us, I mean they can make us smaller and angrier and cynical and sarcastic and even bitter. But when I say broken open, I mean that they can open us up to a deeper faith, a stronger character, a greater resilience, a genuine compassion, a strength, a sense of courage, grace, endurance, and love that we didn't have. Lifequakes have a way of carving through what we thought was the basement of our soul to a cavity below, and then another cavity below that. Broken open means revealing depths of ourselves we never even knew existed. Paul wrote about this broken open concept in 2 Corinthians. He said, we have this treasure from God, but we're like clay jars that hold the treasure. This shows that the great power is from God and not from us. We have troubles all around us, but we're not defeated. We do not know what to do, but we do not give up the hope of living. We're persecuted, but God does not leave us. We are hurt sometimes, but we're not destroyed. Broken open not only means accessing a better version of ourselves, but it also allows the light of Jesus, the life of Jesus, to shine through us in a far greater and genuine and authentic way. It means opening ourselves up to potential and possibility, to change and transformation. My friends, good can come when we choose to be broken open. Part of the work I do with my clients these days is to help them focus on the positive, not the negatives in their life. This is very important for all of us because the brain has a bias toward the negative. And one of the ways I suggest suggest to them to do this is to practice gratitude every day. In fact, I urge them to get a gratitude journal and to write at least five to three things at the end of the day that they're grateful for. It is an exercise that has great value in my own life over the years. It's interesting to note that many of the articles I have been reading these days, both in the faith world and the secular world, about how to reduce stress are all touching on the value and the power of practicing gratitude. Experts say that reminding ourselves about what we're grateful for is one of the most powerful ways that we can boost mental health. One expert said this, our psychological immune system is like a cell phone battery. When we drain it more quick, we drain it more quickly in a crisis or in adversity because we use it more. So it's important to continue to recharge it. And one of the ways that you and I can recharge it is to proactively, intentionally look for the blessings all around us, even the smallest of blessings. This is hardly a new concept. We all know it. In fact, it's so simple and basic that I was even afraid to bring it up this morning. But here's the thing. We all know it, but we're not all doing it on a consistent basis. 
especially in the midst of life quakes, the one that we find ourselves in right now. If there was ever a time to practice gratitude, it is now. Gratitude focuses on what is happening, not what is not happening. It reminds us of what we have, not what we lack. Gratitude helps us acknowledge the goodness in our lives and the source of that goodness. The psalmist wrote, give thanks to the Lord for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Paul took it one step further. He said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. A professor once asked his students to prepare for a surprise test. He handed out the papers face down on their desks, as he always did. And then he asked the students to begin. And to everyone's surprise, there were no questions on the paper, just a black dot near the bottom of the page. The professor said, I want you to write about what you see. The students were confused, but they did their best. At the end of the class, the professor collected the papers and started reading each one of them out loud in front of their students. All of them, without exception, described the black dot to explain its position on the paper. At the end, when he collected the papers, he read them all out loud. When he finished, this is what he said. I'm not going to grade you on this. I just wanted to give you something to think about. No one, no one wrote about the white part of the paper. Everyone focused on the black dot, and we do the same things in our lives. We put too much focus on the dark spots, the difficulties of our circumstances, rather than on the beauty that is still all around us. It's the dark spots that spoil our perspective. It's the good things that give us joy and by extension, give us hope. Remember, joy and sorrow live in the same house. In times like this, it's even more important that we practice gratitude, to thank God for who he is and all that he means in our lives, for his grace and his mercy, his wisdom, his peace, his prosperity, his strength, his hope, and his love. It's times like these that we need to thank God for every day and for all those moments that led up to that day. Thank him for the hard times because they make us appreciate the good times. Thank him for the lessons they were needed for our development. Thank him for everything that you and I sometimes take for granted, food on the table, air in our lungs, and life in our body. Thank you for him for the people in our lives, those we love and those we learn from. Thank him for it all. Good can come from life quakes when we practice gratitude. I want my life back, one of my clients said to me recently. You could sense her frustration and irritation from the time we started the session. I not only sensed it, I have shared it as well. I think we all would agree that we have been hijacked by a new level of stress and fear and exhaustion and anxiousness. The isolation, the social distancing, the demands, the weariness, the uncertainty have increased our emotional RPNs tenfold. It's as if we are inhaling emotional toxic fumes we can't see, but we can definitely feel them. God spoke to me months ago 
about this because I could feel the level, levels of my own emotional RPMs growing. He told me that what I needed to do was to build a quiet center. What I was sensing is that he was telling me to do something different than the spiritual disciplines that I had used in the past. And so I set out to build a quiet center. They call this visualizing, which I've never been good at, but different times call for different measures. This is what my quiet center looks like. It's a room in a beautiful cabin that is tastefully appointed. There is a huge picture window open, op overlooking a beautiful lake, and the lake is completely still. And behind the lake are mountains, and they're majestic. And there are two overstuffed chairs in that room, one for me and one for Jesus. And I go there each day to find a quiet center, even if it's for 10 to 15 minutes. And sometimes Jesus and I just sit in silence, and he tells me to catch my breath. Sometimes I talk to him about what's going on in my life. I will admit that sometimes I have to work really hard at staying in that room when my mind wanders, but I am committed to find that quiet center with Jesus. And truthfully, it has made a difference. It's brought my RPMs down. It helps dissipate some of my stress. It doesn't change my circumstances. It changes me. Friends, I would encourage you in the midst of your this life quake to build and to cultivate your own quiet center with Jesus in it. Remember, good things can come from building a quiet center. And lastly, I would like to end with a parable I read recently that reminded me of something else that can bring good out of life quakes. A woman's only son died. In grief, she went to the holy man and she asked him, what magical incantations do you have to bring my son back to life? Instead of sending her away or reasoning with her, he said, fetch me a mustard seed from a home that has never known sorrow. We will use it to drive the sorrow out of your life. The woman set out at once in search of the magical mustard seed. And she came first to a splendid mansion. She knocked at the door and she said, I'm looking for a home that has never known sorrow. Is this such a place? It's very important to me. They told her, you've certainly come to the wrong place. But then they began to tell her all the tragic things that they had gone through recently. And the woman said to herself, who better to help these poor, unfortunate people than I, who have had misfortune of my own? She stayed to comfort them and went on her search for a home that had never known sorrow. But wherever she turned, in cottages or palaces, she found one report after the other of sadness and misfortune. Ultimately, the woman became so involved in ministering to other people's grief that she forgot about her quest for the magical mustard seed, never realizing it had in fact driven the sorrow from her life. Why am I sharing this with you today? Because I believe if we are not careful, we could become too self-focused, too self-occupied in times like these. I'm not talking about practicing healthy self-care 
or practicing safe health practices, they're all essential. But what I'm talking about is being careful that we don't become so self-centered that we stop seeing the needs and the hurts of the people around us. The truth is some of us are going to come out of this pandemic okay. Others are not. Studies have shown over and over again that when we shift the focus away from ourselves and on to others by practicing compassion, by being supportive, by being uplifting and encouragement, encouraging to those around it, us, it not only helps them, it helps us. It actually lessens the anxiety and stress and self-pity that we can sometimes feel. Reminding ourselves to be others-focused is important because we're given the privilege, and it is a privilege, to show God's love and compassion to others, especially when they need it the most. Friends, good things can come from life quakes if we choose to be broken open, to practice gratitude, and to build a quiet center, and more important, to show compassion to those around us. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this word this morning. I believe you gave it to me. And all of us needed to hear one of these things today. I know I did. It is spoken to me. And so I pray, God, several things. One is we would allow ourselves to be broken open that we would allow you to take us to that next cavity, not only for our own growth, but for your life to flow through us in ways that we are not even aware. God, help us to be grateful and practice it at a level probably we never have before because we need to do it now. Help us not to focus on the dark spots but on all the good that is there in the midst of those dark spots. And Lord, help us to show compassion to those around us. Give us eyes to see those that we can tangibly show your love to. And in the midst of all of this, may we see you and your goodness. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.